happens and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. Most offices are a total mix of personality types. So why, when it gets to the executive level, does it so often seem like everyone is cut from the same cloth? Networking, presentation skills, the ability to think on one's feet. These are skills we value in executives, but they're also all things that may not come naturally to introverts. Ama Marfo is a writer and public speaker, and she thinks a lot about this. She makes the point that it's not about what introverts and extroverts can or can't do. It's about making a space that allows both of them to succeed. I'm Megan Keeney-Anderson, and this is The Growth Show. Let's start off with the basics. You have written multiple books on the topic of introversion, and I wonder if we could kick off with you just giving us your simple definition, your simple take on what an introverted state of mind is and, and what marks introversion in the workplace. Sure. So the best way I can think to explain introversion as opposed to extroversion, the way I like to explain it when I'm working with professionals or students or whoever I'm talking to is with complex carbohydrates. So I like to compare people as being either rice or pasta. So if you think about how you cook those things, rice, it kind of goes in with cold water, comes up to temperature, it cooks in that way, doesn't need to be drained, and it takes a really long time to get overdone. Extroverts are a lot like rice, so they can go in that environment, kind of adapt with it as they go, and it takes them a very long time before they've been in it too long. They Mm. will reach that point, and they do burn out the same as introverts, but it takes a while. Compared to introverts, who are a little bit more like pasta. So they'll go into an already frenzied environment for a certain amount of time, and then they have to come out. If they don't, the starch leaches out, they get really (laughs) droopy. It's just not a good time. And every introvert will tell you they know exactly when they've hit that point. So for me, Being an introvert in that environment is a matter of how do you conduct yourself in an environment that's pretty frenzied, pretty high energy, and what can you do to kind of extend the amount of time you can spend in there? Or when you do need to take yourself out, when you hit that kill switch moment, I sometimes call it, how do you then adapt? And does your work environment allow for that? Are they understanding of it? Do they give you that opportunity to have that time away to recharge and come back to where you need to be? So there is a way to extend the amount of time that you could spend in the boiling water to to expand upon your metaphor. Yeah, there are ways that individuals can find to give themselves a little bit of recharge time. There are organizational initiatives and opportunities that there are to give people that space to recharge. But I've never really thought about it as being places where introverts can or can't work. I don't think that there are traits or abilities or skills that are out of bounds of either side. I think it's just a matter of figuring out what are the traits of the environment you're in And how can you adapt to it and how can it adapt to you? It very much is a two-way street. So yeah, so let's actually break down that topic of the traits of the environment. So because every workplace in the world is going to have their mix of extroverts and introverts. But it sounds like you're saying that typically offices are a little bit more driven by the traits of extroverts. What is it about an office that makes it one way or the other? So I think that we do have a lot of offices, a lot of institutions overall that tend to skew towards extroversion because it's very demonstrative. It is easy to figure out what you're looking for. What you see is what you get. And the challenge for introverts is that a lot of those things that we look for 
externally are happening internally. So being able to share a thought really effortlessly within a short period of time is something that extroverts, by virtue of how they're energized in environments, find it very easy to do. It is difficult for introverts to do that because the environment they're in often is pulling energy out of them. So when you're looking to advance in a position or show a level of expertise, the question that comes up with introverts is, if you're in an environment that values being able to speak very quickly, contribute in meetings, not necessarily have the time or energy restorance to bring those things back, how do you put yourself forward? So that's kind of the challenge that a lot of work environments put in place for introverts. And what's the answer to that? I think the answer to that is a combination of learning about yourself as an introvert, what sorts of things tend to pull energy from you and what you need to do to bring those things back as well as the work environment that you're in being permissive of if you need to take 20 minutes before a meeting to get yourself prepared, if you need information sent to you before you have to contribute on it, if you need a little bit of time after meetings to think about what you've talked about before you render a final decision. Places being not just okay with that, but creating that space and saying, yeah, it's okay if you send me an email 48 hours after the fact, and that'll still be considered alongside everything that came up 10 minutes into that meeting. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So how much of this should be on the individual to bend the workplace into something that fits for them? And how much of it should be on the company itself to create those opportunities? I think there's a case to say that it's a 50-50. So as long as when you're going into that interview environment, so when you're first learning about where it is you're going to work, Mm -hmm. um, the individual who is introverted, if you're interviewing, finding ways to let people know what it is you need to succeed within that environment, and then the organization being really upfront about if that's something that they can offer or not. So how do you ask that question in an interview, though? That seems like you're already in an uncomfortable situation, you're trying to get this job, and then you have to, on top of that, ask the company for something. Very much so. And I talk to introverts about this as they're interviewing in a process that, again, in and of itself, pulls a lot of energy from you and takes a lot of power to get through, depending on how long you're in those situations. And for some businesses, like I've talked to friends that have had interviews that are two or three hours in parts of education where a lot of my upbringing and education came from, those interviews are two days long. And how do you stay fresh for that amount of time? So I talk to people about, as you're rehearsing your answers, the same way you would for any interview, making sure that there are certain things that they need to know about you that are just part of the story that you tell. So as you're giving examples of situations where you've done something successfully or where you've learned, being able to include things in that that say, I had to take some time to think about that, or I took some time and talked to a few people, sent out some emails, I wrote down my thoughts, things that are really signifiers of how your introversion presents itself, putting that information out there, and then letting that organization bring to you whatever it is you might need. Do you feel like it's a career limiter for people if, they're, if they don't find mechanisms to help them be more visible and communicate more clearly in the moment? I think that it can be, but I don't think that it's definitively a career killer or a halter of advancement. I think it's very much a matter of finding that place where you fit. And we talk so much about fit in organizations. Yeah. What place works best for you? Where do you best fit? And I think being able to find organizations that can find that space for anybody that's working in them that's a really big part of that fit conversation as well. So you've talked with a lot of different companies in your work. Are there any that jump to mind? I think examples help bring this to life a little bit that that do a nice job with this where introverts can succeed just as easily as anybody else and it's sort of built into the, the fabric of the company. So one of the examples that comes up a lot 
in the lore of places where introverts have been permitted to succeed is Campbell's Soup. So their former CEO, Doug Conant, periodically would just send thank you notes to everybody in the organization. And as a CEO of an organization that big, that's a pretty long list. Yeah. But he wanted to make sure that they knew what it was he wanted to say. And that's not something that he could stop everybody in the hallway, remember their name right away, remember how they were contributing to the organization. So he wrote all of those things down. Yeah, I think it's interesting. So I'm, I'm picking up that the CEO of Campbell's himself uh, was an introvert. Yes, that's correct. Um, I think it's funny because there are probably countless CEOs, business leaders who consider themselves to be introverts, but the world at large doesn't see them that way because they are visible, because they're out there. I wonder like how well that's communicated out to people, how how evident it is to their teams and to the people around them that like that's how they operate. Well, and I think it's interesting too about what we ascribe to introverts in terms of traits. So as an example, I've been a public speaker full-time for close to two years now, and it always surprises people when I tell them that I'm introverted because supposedly we've come along at some point in this lore that introverts aren't good public speakers Mm -hmm. or aren't good at talking to people. But for me, at first, when I first started doing it, it took a lot of energy and a lot of time, and it took a lot out of me to do it. But the more comfortable I got, the better I knew my material, the easier it got. So a lot of the time, it doesn't take me that much energy energy to do it. And I don't get interrupted very often. Um, I have opportunities to let other people contribute so I can even take a break mid-talk if I need to. But being able to structure that experience in a way that it was more energizing than it was depleting was really key for me to being able to do it as often as I do in as many different types of environments as I do. And that's really what I recommend to people is figuring out what sorts of things, what sorts of practices energize you, what depletes you. And if you're finding places to practice it and get a little bit better at Mm -hmm. it, it starts to take less energy from you. So what opportunities can you find to lower the burden of energy? And what opportunities can you find for your organization to help you with that? Can I ask you what some of those structures are in your own life? Sure. So a lot of it is just practice. So being able to acknowledge if I'm doing a podcast interview, for example, going through with people what I might be talking about, um, having examples of what might be asked of me, listening to past episodes and figuring out how they would go. It gives me a little bit more familiarity. So Mm -hmm. I don't go in too anxious or too nervous. I know what I'm coming up against. I know the topic that I'm talking about. So it becomes a little bit easier to do. And I encourage anybody who's looking for opportunities to practice. I think that that will make a world of difference in the amount of energy it takes you to do things. So let's flip that around for a moment. We've talked a little bit about what the individual can do, but let's say there's a um, CEO of a company that's listening right now and it just hasn't crossed her mind that she should do anything differently within her organization. What would be the first step that she could take to create some spaces and some mechanisms to help introverts in her office? So one of my favorite recommendations for this is building in processes or building in procedures that add either time or space to how people would normally practice them. So for example, if you have a workspace where people are often required to work in central spaces or work Mm -hmm. in groups, also saying there are times where people can have the opportunity to work by themselves and then giving the benefits of that to everybody else in the organization. So saying maybe on Friday mornings, anybody that wants the opportunity to work solo can do so in these spaces. And we do that so people who need a little bit more time to themselves with their thoughts or to go over everything we've done over the course of the week can get a benefit out of that. So providing that space or providing that time, but also articulating why it's important helps people on both sides. Those who 
will take advantage of that time, know that they have it, and that they won't be penalized for using it. Right. And those who wouldn't necessarily work that way understand a little bit more about the people they're working with who do take that time. That's interesting. And what are your thoughts about remote work? I mean, we are now entering a time and space where remote work and working from home is becoming a lot more common. Do you see this as a positive trend? for um, getting a mix of different personality types in the office? Is there any detriment to it? I think it's positive to a point. And I think any type of adaptation you would make is positive to a point. So with remote work, I think that's really helpful if people have it as an option because it allows them to work in a space where they're comfortable. It allows them to work in a space where they can control the amount of stimulus for the most part. If they're choosing to work at home, they know what's going on in their house at any given time. If they're choosing other places like libraries or coffee shops, they kind of have an idea of what's going on in those spaces. But I think that if you're choosing to give people the opportunity to work remotely, other people who are working with them non-remotely need to understand their circumstances. Mm -hmm. I actually went to a really good session about this at South by Southwest last year. So it talked about if you are opting to take a remote work opportunity, saying, here is when I am most available. There are times of the day where I might not just be at my desk. I might be out taking a walk, or I might travel to go do something that is contributing to my work, but isn't necessarily the same as me sitting at a desk. Help people understand how to best work with you. And I think that giving people who aren't working remotely that understanding of their counterparts who are working remotely can make a really big difference in making sure that that relationship stays productive and doesn't end up turning into something where they say, oh, well, that person's working remote, so they're not working. Right. Or that person's working remotely, so I can just get in touch with them whenever because they're at home. So those structures are still necessary regardless of where physically your office is. Very much so. I think that Being a person who works remotely means setting those types of boundaries and articulating them. Mm -hmm. And being somebody who's not working remotely means respecting those boundaries when they are articulated. So how do you you interview for this? How do you make sure that you're bringing in different personality types into your business? I mean, I think when we think about diversity, we think a lot about hiring rates and, and leadership rates of women and people of color. Where does personality come into this? And do we need to have actual programs for making sure that we're not just stacking the ranks with extroverted people or or introverted people for that matter. It's really difficult to do this. I have this conversation with people a lot in terms of personality tests and how they think that will help or harm who Mm. they're bringing in. And I don't really advocate for one type of test over another, but what I do say is if you're using one of those as a means by which to learn about people, use it as a means to actually learn about people. So as an example with Myers-Briggs, understanding a type not just letting people stop at saying, all right, this is the type I am. Yeah. What does that type mean? What does it look like when you work? What does it look like if you're in conflict with somebody else? Why might that be happening? And what's the best place to resolve that? So letting it stop being just an identifier or a stereotype or an archetype and turn it into useful information that other people have an understanding of. You're so right. Because about those personality tests, I think so often they turn into basically a an astrological sign. I mean, it's I, I am a C on a disc or I am IFTJ or what have you, but you don't resurface that stuff before you go into a review or a, a conflict that you know you're going to have with someone uh, or a presentation and thinking about the people in the room. It sort of sits latent back in your files from the first week of work. Yeah. One of the things that I find comes up very commonly, and again, I work a lot with college students, so it tends to work this way with them very quickly, is I'm this type, so I can't this. 
and that's, that's the dan- that's the yeah. dangerous piece is it's not designed to limit or enhance your abilities it's just telling you who you are and what you do well but it doesn't mean that you won't need to learn new things that you can do well or that you won't have to do those things that challenges you all it means is at your baseline where you feel most natural here are the things that are easiest for you to do but that doesn't mean other things are impossible nor does it mean you won't have to do them so too many people see it as a crutch or a a diagnosis. Yes, absolutely. But there's so, so much more to it than that. Yeah. All right. So what about creativity? I mean, I know right now um, you are just about to finish a, a new book. How do you think about introversion and extroversion as it relates to being able to create? So I think that it gives you a little bit more space to adapt. I think of it as If you're trying to be creative and you have an understanding that you have mixed populations in the office and mixed however you choose to interpret that, be that temperament, be that race, gender, any other metric or parameter of diversity, I think it gives you the opportunity to say, all right, here's how we've been doing things. Here's the result that they've gotten. Do we need to rethink things, which most of the time the answer (laughs) is yes. And if so, what do we need to be looking at? What needs to change? Who do these changes help? And as importantly, who could these changes potentially hurt? What weight do you put on experience versus a broader perspective when you think about building a team or hiring? That's a good question. And I think about that a lot, bringing in people who maybe have never done something before or have only done it in a certain context and bringing them in a new space. I think there is a case to be made for both of those. Um, I've been doing a lot of other people's or reading of other people's writing about creativity and have come across some things that have said, if you're looking to be creative, have a good understanding of the body of work that you're looking to then innovate. So you couldn't come into physics, never having done physics before, right. and saying, this should be different. Yeah. You have to have an understanding of how physics works. And physics is actually a really good example because things either very much work or they don't. Um, So being able to go in and have a base understanding before you then decide, can we do this differently? Yeah. We think about that a little bit even at uh, HubSpot because – so we're a B2B company, right? We we are a business that sells to other businesses. And it's really easy, I think, to – when you're going to hire candidates – to look for people with B2B experience. They come from similar backgrounds. They come from a similar industry. They're in the tech industry as opposed to a nonprofit or the arts. Right. Um, And – Every once in a while, you might get someone who comes from e-commerce or comes from something that is just outside of your frame of reference. And it's it can be tough in an interview to know how exclusionary you should be on that. And like, right. if you can see that as a strength and a new perspective brought in, but how you, how you compare that against another candidate who has experience and could hit the ground running, for example. Right. Well, I think when you're looking out for that, one of the things that you then have to weigh in addition to how quickly can this person get into the game, kind of understand what it is they need to do and take off running is A, how fast you really need to be moving. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of the time we just rush because we feel like we have to, but we have a little bit more time than we think. And I think too, when you're looking at what your team already has and what gaps can be filled, if that perspective could be valuable having somebody that comes from a nonprofit who potentially could then sell to nonprofits and use that mindset taking the time to think about what is the benefit of taking the extra time to bring that person on board they might not right. be able to go into the game right away but what do you gain by taking that extra time if you have it and it might vary too based on the stage you're at as a company i mean i think at certain stages you need to just move very quickly but at other stages you 
moving quickly and doing the same thing isn't going to get you as far as you need to go. You need to be able to do something different. Yeah. Come at it this in a different from a different way. Yeah, especially if you're at an inflection point. Yeah. It benefits you to bring in people that will naturally help you to pivot because it, it makes a difference. Absolutely. There's a time to step on the gas and then there's a time to level up. And it mm-hmm. seems like you have a different kind of hiring agenda for each. Yeah, there's definitely different strategy depending. And I think that that's the challenge is that we're not always taught to look at those processes differently. Yeah, It's just this is how we hire and this is what we're doing to get done. But also, what does the organization need? What does this particular department need? And what do you gain from bringing in people that might differ from what, how you've been doing things up to that point? Yeah. Now, there's a fair amount that has been written on both introversion and creativity over the course of, you know, business history, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Is there something that you feel like past writing has sort of been missing on these topics that you feel like is less talked about? So one of the things that I've tried to do with what I am writing is bring forth perspectives that aren't otherwise in the literature. Mm. I was going through a lot of the books I already had and books that I'd wanted to read to see who was writing those and where their perspective came from. A lot of it is from business, a lot of it is male, and the vast majority of it is white. And I think that there are so many other different perspectives to creativity and who it benefits and how people can see themselves in creative fields or thinking creatively within the field that they're in if they can see that this applies and is helpful and is beneficial and profitable to other populations. So I've talked to a lot of women. I've talked to several people of color, trans individuals, just trying to flush a lot more of that out. Like this is a valuable construct and it's not just valuable to the people that you've seen writing about it. It's valuable to a lot of other people in different ways and I wanted to talk about that. The irony of that is immense, that you're talking about creativity and something that is supposed to be very diverse in its own nature. Yeah. It's your creation. And yeah, it's, it's all coming from from one perspective. So... What differences have you seen in having those conversations with people who are maybe less represented in in the literature to this point? So one of the things that I didn't expect to chase as a thread, but a friend of mine who is a stand-up comedian and now is a TV writer had talked about how there are certain challenges that creativity holds that people from marginalized populations in some ways are inherently better at. Mm -hmm. So being able to be patient and having to work hard for the duration of something, even if it gets difficult, that's something that people who struggle inherently kind of already know how to do so she was talking about being a haitian immigrant and having to work really hard to get through school and pay for school and then eventually working really hard through improv classes and learning stand-up and a lot of other disciplines that in a lot of ways value determination value doing things over a long period of time while if you're in a different perhaps domain or if you maybe haven't had things be particularly difficult before, once it's hard, you quit. And she said that. She said, there are a lot of people who are probably better at what I was doing than I am, yeah. but it got hard and they stopped. And I thought that that was really profound and really interesting is we don't always think about that. And it's not to say that that struggle is a good thing. I think that that's a whole other conversation. But I think that we kind of look at some of that as devaluable. And I think that we could actually turn that around and say that's an asset to organizations. This person deals with adversity really well. Yeah. And if we're at a point of our organization, especially smaller organizations that are looking to grow and things get hard, having people who deal well with things that get hard is an incredibly valuable thing. So being able to value the experience that they're bringing in in that regard. Maybe they didn't come in with a super high GPA, but they were working really hard and made sure that they got to a place where they were contributing. That's hugely valuable for organizations that need that kind of determination. 
Yeah. So, all right. So you're writing this book for people who are trying to bring more creativity into their work, trying to get better at creativity. Mm-hmm. With so many of these these words like creativity and innovation, invention, it's hard to know, am I there yet? Right. right. Like it's it's hard to be like everybody can sort of say, all right, yeah, I'm creative. I I do creative stuff all the time. But a year from now, if this is something you really want to work at, other than carving at the time, how do you know that you're getting better at this? Well, and it's interesting to me because a lot of the people that I tap to interview, one of the first things I ask them when we talk is, do you identify yourself as being creative? And most of them said no, which I thought was really interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, a lot of people, like I had, um, again, the friend that was a comedian, a different friend that was a writer, and even somebody who is, by by most standards, an artist, still said no, not really. Wait, so these are people whose trade is in the creative arts in some way, yep. comedian, writer, artist, and they're telling you, no, I'm not really that creative. They hadn't thought about it. It was just not, it was not a trait that they ascribed to themselves. Mm-hmm. And I've thought about that a lot. Is that something that you get to call yourself or is that something that other people get to call you? Yeah. Um, and I'm still not really sure where I land on that, but it's it was interesting to me how many people that I, first thing I thought of was, yeah, this is a creative person I want to talk to. And they said, I don't identify that way. So it's very, yeah. very interesting to see. Why do you think that was? They just never, it just, they're too busy with the work to actually describe themselves in well, that light. I think depending on the person, um, one of the biggest misconceptions that I've seen that I'm wondering where it came from and I'm wondering how to kind of decouple it is that most people conflate creativity with artist, artistic ability. Yes. So if they can't draw or paint or sculpt or something traditionally artistic, then they don't say that they're creative. And that happened a lot, I, th- I would want to say, with the writers mm-hmm. in the group, but even the person who by most traditional things was an artist. He's a designer and an illustrator. He still didn't really ascribe to that either. Um, but it's interesting how we've kind of coupled those things together. And one of my other friends who I was talking to um, talked a little bit more about maybe you are not the person who can go out and draw a picture or paint a straight line, but you cook really well or right. you have a really good fashion sense or you knit and are able to cross-stitch and those types of things. All of those are creative endeavors too. And being able to kind of expand what falls under that umbrella, I think is really the first step to kind of getting more people to that place where they can say, yeah, I'm creating things. I'm creating meals. I'm creating Mm -hmm. outfits. And all of those things count. So you can be in finance and be creative. Yes. Yes. So um, we started off this this conversation by having you kind of give us your definition or your take on introversion. I think we're at a natural point now then to carry that over to creativity. We're kind of talking around it in some ways, but how do you define creativity then? So for me, I think what I finally come to is creativity is the idea of taking any given number of inputs, so your own thoughts or information that you have, and finding ways for them to exist in the world in a useful way different from how they might have been presented. So that can be being able to connect ideas that might not have otherwise been connected before or creating something totally different. I think both of those are valid definitions. So being able to iterate on something that exists or create something brand new, both of those can be considered creative acts. Who do you admire in this space? Who do you think is supremely creative? Hmm. So as I was making the list of people to interview, there were a good number of people that I knew really well that I wanted to talk to. And then there were a handful of what I call reach ones where I had passing familiarity with them, but I really wanted to talk to them. And one of them was the artist, uh, the designer and illustrator, Tim Goodman, Mm -hmm. who does a good amount of... 
it's not really typography, but it's a lot of art that's combined with words. Some would call it poetry. I know he wouldn't if I asked him, but being able to present ideas in different types of ways. And yeah. I'd actually come across him through a project that had nothing to do with his regular work called 40 Days of Dating, where he and a good friend of his, um, who's also a designer, Jessica Walsh, dated for 40 days and kind of documented the experience to see, were they going to fall in love and stay a couple or would it just be something that they tried out? Right. So I came across him in a completely different context and then as a result ended up looking at his design work and I loved it and I just had so much fun with it. So being able to see how he kind of thought of different things and put ideas together in really interesting ways in a couple of different domains was really, really attractive. So I did get to talk to him and it was a lot of fun and he's a really cool guy. Did you, when you came across creative people, was the overlap of introversion to extroversion any different than what you see in the larger space? That's an interesting question. Um, I think that, I don't know that it really breaks down where people are overwhelmingly more one than the other. I think that there are benefits to both traits, depending on the type of creating that you're doing. Um, I think that being able to sit with a problem for a long period of time, sometimes by yourself, is something that introverts excel at. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, sometimes to be able to create something really complex or really intricate, it takes getting input from a lot of people in a way that extroverts tend to tend to excel at. So I think it kind of depends on what you're working on and how you choose to weaponize it. But I would make the case for either or both. Nice. Where do you see things going from here for you? I mean, I know you want to get this book out um, and done. Is there another topic that is fascinating you beyond the realm of creativity or you think you'll stay in this topic for a while? So I really like it. I like talking to people about creativity. I like seeing what it means to them. I like helping it be useful. I think that within creativity, one of the topics that I'm just now starting to touch, and I think some of how I've written the book kind of alludes to that, is being able to use it as an access point. Mm -hmm. So how can people whose voices aren't always getting heard use creativity to get into spaces or into domains or into opportunities that would allow them to spread them with a wider voice. Oh, that's really cool. So are you thinking of anything particular when you say that? Is there an example of that you've seen? Not really. And again, it was talking to some of the people that I talked about where they said being creative and having a different perspective was what got me into the opportunity that I got. Yeah. Being able to recognize that sometimes having that perspective that looks a little bit different and being able to effectively match that with the organization that needs it, that's a huge additional access point that some people might not otherwise have if we're not talking about it. Mm -hmm. So at the very least, I just want to talk about that more. One thing that fascinates me about you is you seem to deal in this realm of the ineffables, right? So you deal with things that are harder to describe, personality traits, perspective, the sort of soft, I know it when I see it, concept of creativity. Is that a struggle for you? How? What is it about these sort of harder to describe topics that catches your attention? Hmm. I've never thought about it that way before. Um, I think that part of that kind of falls into where introverts tend to be really good, which is the world of ideas, as it's so often put. So being able to think for a long time about difficult problems and things that haven't otherwise been solved. That's something I've always really liked to do. Um, I was that person that could sit and work on a problem for ages and not really worry about what was going on around me or worry about how long it would take and yeah. lose time in it. So I think I've always really enjoyed that. Creativity is something pretty similar. Um, actually, I just got back from family vacation and my dad was telling me a story about 
in third grade, I had to make, he couldn't remember what it was called. We think it was a diorama, but I don't remember doing it. Um, so I don't know for sure if that's what he meant, but I had to make some sort of seascape and it had birds in it and it had water and it had sea plants and all these other things, but there wasn't any blue in it. And my dad, yeah, my dad looked at it like as I was taking it to school, he's like, are you done? And I was like, yeah, I was like eight. And I was, he was like, are you done? And I said, yeah. And he said, there's no blue in it. Why isn't there any blue if there's a seascape? And apparently I didn't answer him. <laughs> but then like a week and a half later, at some point, I went to him and was like, dad, you know how we were talking about that seascape that I made and you asked me why there wasn't any blue in it? And he said, yeah. And I said, because I didn't want it to look like anybody else's. And I had no idea, no recollection of having said this. And my dad told me last week and it was like, everything started to click and make Your sense. Your whole career so, like, suddenly, yeah. I've been doing that for a really long time. And I just, I never really thought to put it together like that. But I think somehow, some way, that's kind of always been who I've been. So I think why not tackle it in a professional capacity now? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and best of luck with the upcoming book. Thank you. This has been fun. Yeah. And then for, for people who are listening who want to get more of this, you can come see um, Ama speak at Inbound. Um, it's an upcoming event we have in Boston uh, this coming September. Yeah, I think I'm Tuesday the 26th, but I don't remember what time yet. <laughs> Perfect. Well, check her out then. Thanks so much. Thank you. We'll see you at Inbound. Sounds great. Hey, you're still here. Good on you. Thanks for sticking around. I have one last real quick ask. If you like the show, it would mean a whole lot if you left a review over in the iTunes store. I know, I know, it sounds played out, but it actually helps people find the show. And it makes my mom proud. So thank you in advance. Oh, and hi mom. <laughs>